But for everybody who's jumping on now, we have a great panel uh, for everybody tonight. And this isn't necessarily something just for someone who loves comic books. It's got a lot of information from two as sort of the um, really the standards in the space that's starting to develop around collecting of not just comic books, but really pop culture. And that's where a lot of this kind of lands. So we're going to talk through a lot of the details around collecting, around comic books on Rally, around the investment side of it tonight. This is going to be uh, it's a little bit different. We're going to stream this across all of our social platforms, but um, we'll also have a live recording to distribute uh, in this week's Rally newsletter, I think. Well, so anybody who's missing pieces of it will make sure you get the whole thing on Sunday. But if you're watching this on uh, rallyroad.live, which is our main streaming, you'll see some details about Batman number one, well, which is opening on Rally next week. And before this panel ends, we're going to touch on a lot of that, uh, a lot of what that book's about and kind of the, the provenance behind it. But anybody who RSVP'd um, is going to get early access to that investment before it opens next week on the 18th. So you'll be able to make the investment uh, at some point before this ends. Anybody who RSVP'd who's on the stream will be able to go into the app and make their investment. Um, and we got an incredible giveaway tonight too. Is towards the end, everybody on this stream who RSVP'd is going to be um, was entered into a random drawing for a graded page from Batman number one. I believe it's page seven, which would mean it's the first appearance of the Joker in any comic book ever, but also the first page I believe he appeared on. I might be wrong about that, but it's worth around fifteen hundred bucks. It's going to get a really nice gift in the mail next week. Whoever wins that. So before we jump in, I'm going to do some quick housekeeping for those who don't know Rally. We're the original platform for fractional investing in collectibles. And that means everything from comic books to baseball cards to dinosaur bones to watches to wine, every investment-worthy asset that you can think of. So we have around 400 right now that are trading in the app. And uh, as I mentioned, next Friday, the 18th, we're opening investments in the $1.8 million Batman number one comic book. It's graded CGC 8. It's an incredibly rare copy that you hear about tonight. $10 a share can go into your portfolio. Um, and then comic books on Rally have been a really popular category. We're seeing around a 38% return uh, on exits. So someone who comes in, buys the entire book from shareholders, they vote, it exits, everyone gets paid on that. We're seeing around 38% gains year over year on those. So it's a really popular category in Rally. And because we are a securities platform, I have a disclaimer that I have to read before the combo starts. Batman number one comic that will be discussed on this broadcast is the underlying asset for a series of interests that is being offered by RSE Collections, LLC, an affiliate of Rally Road. Uh, no interests that are being offered for sale through this broadcast. The only manner in which any investor may invest in one of our offerings is by going to the Rally Road website or app. Prior to acquiring any interest, potential investors should read the company's offering circular and disclaimer, which is available on the Rally platform in the legal tab. It's also publicly available through the SEC's Edgar service at sec.gov. Neither Rally nor any of its affiliates provides any investment advice or is making any investment recommendations uh, or any persons on this episode are making any investment recommendations and no communication on this broadcast or through any other medium should be construed as such. All right, that was a lot. I apologize. So let's jump into this episode two of Ask the Experts presented by Rally with a favorite topic at Rally HQ comic books. I'll start with the quick intros, but many of you may already know these guys. So first, um, Lon Allen, decades in the industry, vice president of heritage auctions, runs a comic book and comic art department at really what I would say is the, the auction house that's done the most to bring attention to comics from other collectible investment classes. So he's grown sales from just over 40 million in 2017 to close to $200 million last year. Really one of the kingmakers in this space. Thank you for coming. And then Aris Quinones, the host of Varian Comics, one of the biggest comic channels on YouTube with over two and a half million subscribers. He's also somebody who you'll see throughout this broadcast really lives it. Uh, <laughs> it's incredibly challenging to make content that's educational, but is also super entertaining. They've done a really good job at that. 
especially in a world, as you know, that's dominated by like 10 second TikTok clips. So I appreciate you both for coming. We're having an awesome conversation. I'll start, Aris, with you. Um, I want to talk about the beginnings of Variant of the channel a little bit. And I want to understand how has your view of comic collecting changed or kind of shifted since the start of it to now, now that it's like a content machine and you guys are pumping right. out so much amazing content, what's the difference now compared to three or four years ago in the space overall, would you say? It's crazy. So, you know, we started the channel back in 2012. That's when the first episode aired, but we were working on it, you know, a few, about, I'd say about two years before. So it was during the first phase uh, of the MCU, you know, with the first Iron Man 2008, uh, Hulk and Thor and all that stuff. And then the first episode actually went live in 2012 when uh, the Avengers assembled on the big screen for the first time in the first 2012 Avengers film. So, you know, at that time, there wasn't really anyone on YouTube doing what we were doing because we kind of approached it behind the scenes. We're like, OK, what if we did like comic book school sort of right where we did like these 10 to 15 minute videos where it's like you want to learn about iron man we'll give it to you in like 10 12 minutes we'll give you all the highlights we'll give you history of iron man all the highlights you need to know with batman uh you want to know like alternate versions of characters we'll give go through all the different earths and multiverses you know all the different spider-man and all that stuff so it kind of went like that where it's like what well, would be a fun way to do like you know because the movies were really big i mean before that we had like the fox x-men films and you know sam Raimi and spider-man but the mcu is like what really like shot it off right mm -hmm. so we're like this is a you know i've loved comic books i've been reading comic books since i could read pretty much um so we're like Let, let's do this and luckily you know we did it it hit people seem to like it and you know as far as you know what you were asking just like how has it changed my view it's crazy like comic books have always been you know they've always been around obviously they've always been big but you you'd be like you have to credit a lot to the movies right because especially doing what I do what we do at Variant, like a big, big reason, especially the last decade or so, is these films, right? They see the Batman with Robert Pattinson. They see, you know, Tom Holland, Spider-Man. They're like, whoa, this is awesome. Where's this from? Where was where this from? It's like, the comic books, right? Like, <laughs> like Amazing Fantasy 15, Stan Lee, Ditko. That's where it all started, right? So, but they come over, they search stuff on YouTube, Google, and then hopefully they, they find us. They find Variant. <laughs> they find Variant. And then I, and I'll, and I'll talk to them about that. But it... It's crazy too, especially in the last, I know Lon and you know for sure, the last few years, uh, I would say around 2020, funny enough, like the collecting market has gone crazy. Like it's skyrocketed even more than like like ever, right? So, you know, you could blame that on, you know, or contribute that to a lot of different things. But for me on the nerdy side, I'm just like, wow, like, you know, especially with the first 10 years of the MCU ending, like you had Endgame, Infinity War, it's just that we're peak interest. And a lot of people were home during those two years, right? So it's like, a lot of people were forced to, you know, work from home, stay at home. So it's like, what are we going to do? So they're streaming movies. They're reading comic books. So, you know, it's just been really, really cool to see, like, something that I've loved since I was a kid before it was, like, super mainstream continue to grow. And I think we're really, like, in the golden age. I know we got, like, the real golden age, but, like, a golden age of, like, comic books in the sense where it's, like, even, like, my mother-in-law, who's, like, in her 60s, loves The Flash because of the CW and all that stuff like that. <laughs> so it's really bringing everyone in. And it's just, it's... As a as a big big fan and someone who's like you know loves this more more than anything, it's really really cool to see. Now I would agree, and I'll say that I'll say that you hit on something really important. I think a lot. That's why I asked about the last three or four years. We've seen this meteoric rise in collectibles, but also we've seen this sort of need for research, and the the information is accessible. People want to go a little bit deeper, but also like everybody nerds out on their own thing. And now we're seeing it on the big screen. We're seeing it everywhere. And Lon, I want to throw this over to you to talk a little bit about heritage. You know. We talk about the movies and these giant franchises. Heritage started in what I would call traditional collectibles. And these are things like coins and art. 
And as amazing as those collectibles are, and they're, they're things that I collect personally and everybody at Rally talks about nonstop and it's on the platform, you don't see a lot of big budget movies about a coin or a big budget movie about like a print that came from an artist that's like, you know, from or something from like the 1700s that kind of went through the test of time. It might have elements of it, but they don't, that's not the subject matter. But comics now are such a big part of Heritage. And I want to understand a little bit better, how did Heritage come to embrace that? And what have you seen in the space in the last three or four years as it's become such a big part of what Heritage does best? Sure, sure. Well, thanks for having me. This, uh, this is going to be a lot of fun. Um, you know, believe it or not, the comic books actually predates the, uh, the things like art, fine art and everything. We were just a coin company and Jim Halperin, uh, one of the co-owners, is a you know, huge comic book fan. And he wanted to start the comic books. So the comic books and the movie posters were really the second division. That, that, and that really is what led uh, us to everything else. So now we have 40 divisions. So when I started at Heritage, we had 60 employees, and now we have like 800. <laughs> so that was really the base for everything. And, um, you know, Jim's partners thought, oh, this is crazy. How could you ever, how could comic books be a thing? But CGC had just started. You know, so this is 2001. CGC had been around for maybe 18 months and was starting to be embraced. And, you know, that was the real game changer. You know, everyone else had gotten out of it. Christie's and Sotheby's had bowed out. And uh, and the and the grading is you know just what made this universal and made it a you know an internet platform. Yeah, and that's that's a a, a good one for you, Aris. I know you're sort of the pure collector, and I, I look at you as somebody who really digs deep in sort of the purest mentality around individual pieces and books and stories behind them. Grading has changed so many different spaces, and Lonnie broke a good point that changed the dynamic for for these books. The same way I would think, you know, PSA change it for cards, WADA change it for games. It puts it on the main stage. So, Aris, you as a pure collector, I'm using that word, that phrase very liberally. So correct me if I'm saying, if I'm, if I'm, using, if I'm pinning you incorrectly, because I know that you're somebody who's a big collector and loves it. Right. But have you seen the way that you collect change now that you have these platforms that are really turning into big business and you see these crazy prices and grading has become so ubiquitous as a way to preserve these comics where they're not being read front to back? Have mm -hmm. you seen it change? And as your as the way you think about collecting and what you purchase changed over the course of the last five or six years as that's, as that's come to the forefront? For me personally, I mean, personally, no. Um, I've always been just a fan of like I collect what I like. I mean, it has it, it's helpful. I would say in the sense, you know, with like you guys like rally and stuff like that. Where I'm never well, I won't say never, but like now I I'm not I can't afford one point eight. <laughs> I'm not dropping almost two million dollars on a collar, right? But same, like, same. But yes. you know, but I could technically own a portion of it now with you know with rally and stuff like that. So. It, that's really cool with you know technology and you, people like rally and stuff like that coming up it's really cool in the sense to where like i can legitimately say that i actually own a piece of batman one and people are like you know i bring it up at, like a party or whatever it's like what do, you, what do you mean like anyone knows anything knows that's like you know million plus dollar combo like what You're like bob Kane bill finger like yeah, yeah and then you show them it's a conversation piece it's just fun it's like something that you know cool to talk about uh but as far as like just you know cgc or you know stuff like that i've always just done what I like. Like I'm real big on Batman, the animated series. So like one of my favorite books I own is uh Batman Adventures 12 first appearance of Harley Quinn. I like, that's what got me into comic books, Batman the animated series back in the day. So like for me, that's my, that's like my thing. Uh, but yeah, it's just, I'd say on a personal front, no, I just like, I just collect what I like, but as far as like new ways to do this with the, you know, the new grading systems and apps and websites, it's been really helpful because again, it's cool to like know, 
you know, that I could technically have this thing, even though, you know, I can't spend $2 million <laughs> to have the whole thing all to me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But it, it, it's just been cool. It's, it's, it's prices tend to sort of, I'll say this, and we talk about a lot in-house at Rally, prices tend to drive a lot of interest from outside of an individual space. And when you see the first million dollar book or million dollar card or something in a space that has that giant price tag and gets the headlines, it always brings new collectors in. That's sometimes looked at as a, as a positive or negative for the people who've been there early. And I'll tell you, Lon, I'll throw this to you and I'll, I'll tell a quick story. When I, was, when I was younger in the 90s and starting to collect, it was buy what you love. It was always that. And the first thing that I really thought was going to be worth a ton of money was uh, Superman number 75 was the death of Superman, which everybody <laughs> my age in their head, I, I bought three of them. I saved money. Me and my friends went to Walt's Hobby Shop on 13th Avenue. I bought three of them. I tucked them away. I opened one so I could get the black armband. But in my mind, I'm like, this is the greatest investment I've ever made. I'm going to make a million dollars in 10 years. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to be rich. Kid. I'm good. I'm set. And then you find out as an adult, they made 6 million of them. And it's obviously <laughs> not what it was. It was a cash grab by DC. But you only have a handful of comics line that really eclipse that million dollar number. And not everything's going to be the Amazing Fantasy 15s or the Batman number ones or Superman number ones. But what for the audience puts those, what are the characteristics that say that put the million dollar price tag on something and what you've seen? And when you started seeing some of those price tags and some of those auctions break through that million dollar ceiling, were there defining characteristics that were pretty obvious from day one or are they sort of developing over time still? Uh, I mean, a lot of both. You know, the... Obviously, the collectability is number one. Um, you think it's rarity. I mean, that obviously factors into it. There can't be six million of them. It's never going to be worth anything. Yes, I'm um, on the hard way, well, yes. the, the, the key marvels, you know, those those are the ones that I always say, you know, those are, you know, some of the blue chip investments. And, and they always happen. Everybody always collects marvels, Silver Age marvels. But they're common. They're very common. But the demand is huge. So, you know, thus the price, the, you know, the AF1596 that we got $3.6 million for. Um, now, that's also rare in the grade, but it's not unique. Whereas you're talking about like a Detective 27 almost has to be in that, you know, unique uh, realm to hit that kind of a number. Batman won. So all, the, you know, the first appearances obviously are, are, are the big. The, you know, the big first appearance of the superheroes, you know, then you add in the rarity, obviously then drives the desirability of them. And, you know, when you're talking about like one of the five, 10 top known copies, then, you know, then the sky's the limit. Yeah, it makes sense. And that's a lot of what I think we've seen in, in the video game space and a few of the other spaces where collectability, where there weren't necessarily population reports, it's so, the grading is somewhat newer. But it has there are certain elements and certain characters and certain franchises that have that collectability that are always going to kind of command a price. And let me ask you too, because I'm somebody who I'll go into Heritage on a Tuesday auction and maybe buy a video game or a car before they were kind of split up. I found my way to comics through going to those Tuesday night auctions because it had similar characteristics. Have you seen that overlap from sort of people with interests in cards or in art or in coins finding their way to comics more often over the last year or so? Or is that something that's always had its base and it's always developed as its own kind of base of collector? I think I think that there's there's been a lot more crossover. And, you know, again, the grading really helps. Um, for somebody like me, I know nothing about video games. I mean, I go back to Atari, you know. I mean, so for me, <laughs> I've been buying I've been buying some Atari games uh, because I think they're cool and they're actually pretty cheap compared to the rest <laughs> of them. Uh, but you know the grading is is what you know has allowed me to do it because I I wouldn't know what to buy 
um, otherwise. And I mean, you definitely see that. I mean, you've got the collectability of, you know, the, the, the trading card games and the video games and everything. And so you got, you know, a lot of the same base, but then, you know, all of the other stuff is going to trend a lot younger. So then you got, you know, guys in their forties, guys in their thirties, gals in their thirties and forties, you know, that see it. And it's like, Oh, it's there. It's available. It's graded. I know what I'm getting. So that to me, that's the beauty too about grading is, you know, you know what you're getting, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, even if you're buying something mid grade, you know, it's not restored, you know, it's authentic. So uh, th that adds a lot for me, even if you're just spending a few hundred dollars on something, you know what you're getting. Makes sense. It makes sense. Aris, let me ask you this. You touched on, on the golden age a little bit, which is, is very collectible right now. We'll, well, for viewers, I'll classify that as the late 30s to the mid 50s. Correct me if I'm wrong there. But what is it about sort of like the Batman number ones and those first appearances and first issues from that window of time? Do you think that that's something that's because it's a little bit of a loaded question, but is that something that's kind of becoming more attractive to a certain type of collector right now? Is it the franchises that are turning into these entertainment houses and becoming these huge movies? Is there something about that era that has a specific type of importance? Or is that just something where the characters that were developed there are the ones that are the most relevant right now? I think it's because it's the start of it all, right? Like, I mean, you got Action One Superman. That's like the guy who started it all. He's like, I say it all the time on, you know, on Barry and everything. He's like the blueprint for superheroes. Like, you could argue very easily that without Superman, like, we wouldn't have this DC universe and even Marvel, right? You know, the, the whole reason why the Avengers uh, even assembled in the first place is because Marvel's like, yo, I, I, I hear DC's got a superhero team. Well, we, we, we need something. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, uh, I mean, Again, it's the start of it all. It's I think it's a, it's a little bit of everything, but I think at the end of the day, it's the start of everything. It's like it's the golden age. Without that era, without Superman, without Batman, without Wonder Woman, again, without even DC being successful and stuff at that times, you could even argue like Marvel and Stan Lee and you know everything wouldn't never necessarily yeah, at least not yeah. the way it happened now. You know what I mean? So it, it's it's that right there. It's the beginning of what we've come to love in pop culture so much again it's like you like the mcu thank you golden age of comic books you know what i mean <laughs> <laughs> thank you for being a thing because without that we wouldn't have gone into the silver age and you know the bronze and the rise of marvel and, and all that stuff so it's that it's definitely i think that's the biggest part but then a, a lot of it is again with all these tvs and movies you know you love tom holland spider-man and stuff like that or you love more specifically going to golden age you love like the new the batman movie with uh, Robert Pattinson, well, it all started <laughs> back in the what, late 30s, early 40s. I believe, what, was it the Tex 27, 39, I believe? <laughs> yeah, that, that's like when, you know, my, my memory of Batman goes back to the original TV series, and that was like always kind of right. in the background, and then it turns into the animated series, and then it's kind of like you have a bat, everyone has their own Batman for every generation, kind of. What yeah. do you what do you think happens now for, for a 10-year-old or a 15-year-old, and they're coming up with like Harley Quinn and new versions of the Joker. What do you think they're thinking about 10 or 15 years from now? Is it the same type of collector? Or do you think that there's new characters or there's kind of new offshoots that get unlocked that become more important? That 100%. It's it's kind of shifting a little bit. I've noticed a lot, obviously, because, you know, doing various stuff, looking at the comments, people tweet to me or they go in our comments, you know, they're like, talk about this or what about this character? Because, you know, every generation has their own thing, right? Like, because I'm like a 90s kid, right? So I grew, you know, I was in the 90s. So right now, like, Power Rangers are huge, right? Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, because when, you know, the 10, you know, 12 year olds are now like in their 30s and we got the money to spend on that. So I think you hit the nail on the head there with that, with there's a lot of new key characters that people really, really dig as they get older. Like, oh, you know, I, I think Star Wars, that's at the top of my mind, Star Wars in a sense, where we had the Clone Wars, right? Back in the early 2000s, stuff like that. A lot of those people that were like teenagers, now late 20s, 30s, they're like, yo, 
what's the first appearance of like Darth Maul in Dark, Dark Horse comics? Where, where where was the first appearance of Ahsoka in, in the comic book? So they're looking for the keys of the characters that aren't necessarily from the 30s and 40s, but from their youth. And that's happening a lot. Like Punchline, the new character from James Tynan in the Batman run, that was big for a second too. Because they're like, what? The girlfriend for the Joker? And that's like a you know a new modern character. So I think it's kind of the generation thing where the golden age and like the first appearance of Batman, Spider-Man, Superman, Fantastic Four is always going to be rare because it's the first appearance. But at the same time, going back to like, not many people could spend, you know, half a million dollars, a million dollars, whatever it is on those issues. But you could spend a few hundred dollars on the first appearance of Darth, Darth Maul or whatever, or the first, you know, Power Ranger comic. It's a lot more obtainable and it's from their youth still. Yeah. So I think you're seeing that rollover a lot where, again, it's just like a lot of the people in the 90s and early 2000s who were young are now adults and they're going back for the stuff they loved when they were a kid. So it's, yeah, it's yeah. changing the market that way. But you're describing too what the future of nostalgia might look like and it might be a situation where you know it's hard for me sometimes to wrap my head around what kids are into and i feel like i'm aging myself a little bit <laughs> but then i realized i was that same person in the 90s who would have thought x y or z were going to be the thing and i realized it was and now i'm so happy i have it you know right. um awesome conversation that was the first so the first 20 minutes went by we went through a bunch of the scripted questions the stuff that we talked about the talking points all the sort of high level stuff we have a bunch of questions from the audience that they put in before uh, before this night started through the RCP system. So I want to get to a bunch of those quick. Lon, I want to start with you because the first one is very specific sort of pricing. How does the, what is the difference between quality of pages and how does that affect price? So for anybody who, who doesn't know, as an example, the Batman number one that we referenced on Rally is white pages, which is the identified typically as like highest quality. But can you talk a little bit about what that page quality means and how it affects price, even for identical issues of an individual comic? Sure. Well, as you can imagine, it's it's gotten to be more and more important as time has gone on because you, know, you can look at a book and you can view it based on its structure and what CGC calls it or what anybody else calls it. But then when you look at the the page quality, you're talking about really the internal structure and you know the longevity of it. So people have definitely gotten to be more and more um, critical of that over the years, um, even going back to like we're talking about Silver Age Marvels. I mean, they're 60 years old now, and a lot of those are tan. And so you can definitely tell a difference. Oh, boy, here's a really nice looking one. But, oh, man, it's tan. And what is it going to look like in another 20 years? Well, you get something that's, you know, actually white pages, off white pages. People are going to pay a premium for that. And, you know, that's why the pedigrees have always held, you know, a big premium because in general, they, you know, have such a nice state of preservation because otherwise they wouldn't be a pedigree if they weren't preserved well. So that's why people, you know, even pre-grading, even when you're ordering something over over the, uh, you know, through a mail order, you know, whatever, if you knew it was from a specific pedigree, you at least had a pretty good idea that it was going to be really nice. So that's it. That's it. You, you already asked the follow up question that this particular person had with regards to the Batman on rally, which is from the Larson pedigree, oh, yeah. uh, which is really known as sort of one of the really most important collections ever assembled. I don't want to take any words out of your mouth, but sure. how, how much is that pedigree emerging in terms of relevance, in terms of what you see and acquisitions that heritage might make or what they might get consigned? How important is that becoming in the sourcing process? Yeah. And, you know, Larson is one of the very first pedigrees that was ever discovered. And I personally, you know, think that pedigrees hold a lot of water because I've been involved in finding six of the 60 pedigrees um, mm. so far. So with the most recent one being the Promise Collection. And yeah, I, I really think I really think that they are important. I mean, the Mile High Collection is something that is just never going to be duplicated. They say that there's no collection in any realm of collecting that holds a candle to 
the, the Egger Church Mile High collection. There's no baseball card collection. There's no coin collection. There's no collection that exists that is ever going to be anywhere near as nice as the, as the Mile High collection. So to me, those are just, I mean, those are the absolute A plus top of the peak. If you can buy something, you know, buy a Mile High, buy a pedigree. You, can, you have a bunch of people right now who are watching and they're Googling that and they're finding out how much it actually is going to cost them to uh, get involved. <laughs> um, yeah. All right, so let me, let me, let me ask you this, because this is, this is one that we got three or four different versions of this question. Okay. But I think this is one that you'll have some insight to. Has comic book writing gotten better or worse over the years? And sort of how relevant is that to the story structure now as much as it was in the past when everything was obviously way more long form and people have way more time on their hands and that was right. entertainment? Has it gotten better or worse? And how important is that in terms of the collectability? I wouldn't want, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't use the words better or worse. It's definitely changed. But like, for instance, like when you're talking about like the gold and silver bronze age of comic books, like for me personally, and I would say most purists, if you want to use that word purist <laughs> of comic books, there's like the, the nostalgia to it, to it, right? There's like nothing like reading like, you know, freaking like Stan Lee, Steve Ditko or Jack Kirby, like comic books. There's just... It has the, like, you read a Stanley comic book or, you know, some from Ditko and all those, you know, great guys back then, you, you just know. You're like, this is Matt Wagner or whatever. You're like, this is just, it's classic. It may be considered a little cheesy by today's standards or even a, a have a lot of, you know, expositional dialogue where it's like, <laughs> where it's like they're <laughs> explaining everything to, to the reader and the audience. Uh, but it's just great, right? It's just, I mean, that's for me, even though I'm a 90s kid, like, I grew up reading all the Stan Lee stuff. That's really what kind of introduced me to it. My dad would go to Barnes and Nobles doing work and stuff like that, research whatever he was doing there. And I would go get like, you know, the Masterworks collection from Marvel and read the original Fantastic Four run, you know, Spider-Man and all that stuff. So I, I just love it. But I will say like everything, as everything progresses, technology and just the world, uh, I would say comic book writing has got a lot smarter, right? Like there's, the, it's a lot more dynamic and stuff. Uh, a lot more complex, just like I would say almost all media, like TV shows, films, stuff like that. So it definitely has progressed, but I, would, I wouldn't personally want to say it's better now. I would just say like everything, it has advanced. You know what I mean? Because I couldn't argue with someone and be like, dude, writing was so much better in, in the Silver Age. But like, yeah, it has a charm to it. It's good. Like it made me not, you know, it's probably not as dynamic, but it's got that charm. It's that's like, that was comic book. So you know, it's changed and it's, 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 I like both, man. It's, it just kind of, it depends I on. Can, <laughs> I can respect that. I grew, I grew up in the nineties too. And I look back now and I never wanted to be that guy saying it was better when I was younger. Right. What's coming out now, and I realized that there was a certain charm to it. You said it well too. It's like, there was a, there's an element of some of those older books and some of the stuff that really paved the way for what we have now. For sure. Where it was different. You had graphic novels were on one side, then you had comic books on the other side and the writing was kind of different. It wasn't sort of ripped from the headlines, but it was brand new concepts. And it was written a little bit more long form and some of it has a charm to it for sure. Mm -hmm. Let me ask for both of you. And this is one that came in again, similar situation. There were a couple different questions that kind of phrased this differently, but the same question. I'll start with you, Lon. Is there growth for Grail Comics outside of the traditional superhero kind of Marvel DC universe franchises like Archie or Disney? Or do you think the superheroes are going to continue to dominate? Oh, I think there's plenty of growth because, I mean, they're really, most of that stuff now, you know, you can look at it and you go, well, that's pretty cheap, you know, an early Donald Duck or whatever, or, I mean, even things like, you know, Bone, you know, like the first appearance of Bone, you know, and some of those things that were like really groundbreaking, um, non-superhero stuff. I mean, a, a lot of people are looking back, you know, at that now. And, you know, again, a lot of nostalgia, a lot of these things that they don't seem that old, but you realize, oh, these are 30, 40 
years old. They've been around. Maybe the print runs, you know, weren't that high, but the Disney stuff has always had, you know, pretty huge fan base, Archie, pretty huge fan base. And again, in comparison, it's so cheap. You realize, oh, wow, I could put together like a pretty cool collection of this stuff and it not cost me a, a zillion dollars. That's true. That's true. Right, how do you feel about it? Do you think that there's something where even I'm thinking about the tangential pieces of like animation cells from the animations from that were still done by hand before it was fully digital that are based on some of these comics or based on these angles and the popularity around the franchise? Do you think that there's a space where where the newer franchise that aren't based on superheroes have a chance to take over at any point in the future? I would say in the foreseeable future probably not i mean just because if you look at the slam i mean disney is like a big reason right they got they got star wars they got Mar marvel they like got all the big ips and they're just pumping shows and movies hand over fist and like it's they're dictating a lot because again they're getting the general audience and they're bringing them and be like oh you like this here's the collectible side of it so foreseeable future no but with that said i do think there's plenty plenty of room for other things besides dc marvel type stuff to come up because in the same vein though like star wars is kind of similar i guess you could say it's in a superhero category it's not the bit one of the big two right it's not something that's been dictating comic books like marvel and dc for decades and decades but with their rise you know you know all the, the mandalorian shows boba fett and stuff like that the dark horse comic books that uh for star wars that uh got put out before marvel got it back several years ago with the acquisition of lucasfilm are becoming really collectible right now again yeah. like and you know, to Alan's point, like they're a lot more accessible. Like I could have, I could get like three thousand dollars and have a pretty good Star Wars collection. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah, and yeah. So I think in the for, for me for the foreseeable future, with the way like the DCEU is going right now, especially with Black Adam, and I'm kind of trying to reform them and Henry Cavill back as Superman, and then Marvel just doing Marvel. Foreseeable future, they're probably still going to be the front runners, but there's definitely room. For other things like Power Rangers has a really big nostalgia right now. Star Wars obviously is back in a big way. So I definitely think you are going to see some other things like kind of come up. But I don't know if they're going to overtake DC or Marvel anytime soon. <laughs> I mean, you, you a point too. Like Disney and some of the big corporations that own all the IP, their businesses, they're going to keep putting out individual spinoffs or one-offs or these, these sub-stories or prequels or sequels for the property and the IP that they own. And that opens up the possibility for a lot of new characters. But do you feel like that would ever dilute a franchise. I think there's any there's any possibility that some of these bigger franchises, like a Star Wars, and I'm mm. thinking about this as like the Star Wars comic, comic number one on Rally is one of the most popular assets that we have on the whole platform, but most people don't necessarily associate Star Wars regular people that come to the platform. They think toys, they think a lot of the other IP, but they don't necessarily think about the comic book. The reverse, would that be something that would, that would potentially cannibalize a Star Wars if a bunch of new offshoots come out and now you have something that the franchise has taken a whole different sort of lane. Is that something that you think about at all or no? Not necessarily. I mean, maybe I might be a little too optimistic. I like to be a glass half full kind of guy, but I feel like it all kind of feeds each other, right? Like, you know, say everyone's dominating and they're going hard with the comic market. I feel like, well, the same way everyone knows about the Star Wars films. And if you're like really deep into that, you may be checking out some of the stuff Disney Plus is putting out for the TV shows. They got the Soka show coming out, you know, Skeleton Crew with Jude Law and stuff. So I, I you know, I may be a little optimistic on that, but I, I think there really is a lot of crossover because, again, we see it a lot in variant behind the scenes. Like, if anyone who watches the channel knows, like, a lot of the big tentpole tent stuff is what we base a lot of our content out of. So when Black Adam comes out, we're putting out Black Adam stuff. You know, when Mandalorian Season 3 comes out next year, we're going to do a lot of that stuff. So I really feel like it all kind of feeds each other. And in the end, like, 
the people who own these IPs are winning no matter what. Whether you go to the whether you go to the collectible side or the film side, they own it all. So, but I I, I think you know you're always gonna have that stuff kind of like the I don't know that divisiveness or whatever in in the collector market and stuff. But in the end, it really is just kind of all feeding each other, and it's it, a win's a win, right? Like it's it's all Star Wars, it's all Marvel anyway. So that's how I look that's at true. it. <laughs> that's true. All right. So last question we have from the audience, um, Lon. I'll throw this one at you first. This is an easy one. It might not be an easy one, actually. What are each of your favorite comic books that you have in your personal Ooh. collection and why? Lon, I'll throw that to you first. Well, I did grab a couple. I thought I would show them off. This was one that I showed there for a second earlier. I always think, you know, number two issues in high grade, I always think are really tough to find. Unsung heroes, too. They're the unsung <laughs> heroes sometimes. Fantastic yeah. Four, number two, you know, extremely, extremely cool, extremely difficult. And then I'm keeping with ff you know then of course we got the uh hard to get a good picture of it here first black panther obviously and then just to keep the the batman theme you know this is one of my you know personal favorites the joker 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 cover so that's pretty i want to like that i like that not graded too i like that you keep i like keeping it really keeping them yeah yeah in case but not graded no i mean three if I'm going to sell them, I would get them graded. But if they're in my collection, I don't need them slapped. I have a feeling we could do a whole separate, we're not going to do it now, but like a three hours on your, just cataloging your personal collection. But we'll get to that. <laughs> Harris, back to you. Favorite book that you own in personal collection and the reason behind it. All right, so two come uh, come to mind right away. I actually have it in the I should have brought it out in the closet right here in my office, and the other one's out in the studio. I think everybody, everybody <laughs> believes that you have them. Yeah. Nobody's, nobody's not going to believe that you have them, I promise. Uh, first one would be Batman Adventures 12, first appearance of Harley Quinn, because for me, again, Batman, the animated series, is literally what got me into comic books. So that like kind of got me into the world. So I love Harley Quinn, first appearance, uh, good book. And then my, my uh, favorite comic book of all time, I have a – CGC 9-8 uh, Killing Joke, Batman the Killing Joke. That's my favorite comic book of all time. It's not like, you know, excessively pricey at all, but like it's my favorite comic book of all time. Yeah, not excessively pricey uh, yet. Yeah, yeah, but I got it in a 9-8 slab CGC. So those are those are my two favorite. It's just, you know, it's my favorite comic book and I love Batman Anime City. So those two I know I had to keep in my collection. Funny enough, uh, my Batman Adventures 12, I sold it like three or four years ago. It just whatever, I was like, I just sold it. I got several hundred dollars for it. It was a raw copy. And then I, I regretted it instantly. You know, you sell something, you're like, dang it. And I got a buddy who collects, he's really into comic books, uh, Comic Tom. Uh, he actually gifted it me, gifted it back to me, uh, found me a good copy for like two years ago for my birthday. So now it's back in my PC. And I'm very, very happy. So those two, Batman Killing Joke and uh, Batman Adventures 12. When you, when, you buy, <laughs> when you buy a personal collection, are you buying slabbed at all? Or are you always kind of buying raw? Is it, does it matter to you? Do you think about it as like sort of going on a hunt? I like to kind of go on the hunt. Like I, for the most part, most of my stuff is raw. Like I don't have too many slabs. I probably actually only have like five slabs in my collection and I got a bunch of short boxes and stuff in, in my house, but most of it is just raw. Cause it's the last stuff from when I was a kid. And then just as I go to the comic book store, you know, once a month or whatever, I just bag and board them in the closet. So yeah, I like raw. <laughs> I appreciate it. All right. So last question, I'm going to steal this one from, from myself. And this is a question I have for both of you. And I'll start with you long. Cause you see a lot of this, I'm sure in and out of coming in and out of uh, heritage, but how do you feel about sort of the tangential sort of, I don't want to call them asset classes, but collectibles that we're seeing more of now. And they're becoming way more part of the conversation, especially around that 90s kind of nostalgia. VHS, uh, graded magazines, even sort of like the ones like Mad Magazine and the, and the, the comic strips and sort of the sketchy type of comics. 
that are starting to pop up more often right now. Do you see a space right now that you have your eye on that you feel like has the opportunity to be sort of generational that's just starting to form itself now? Or do you feel like it's sort of, you know, the big three and you think about, in my mind, cards, games, comic books are the ones that are going to kind of lead the charge? Well, I mean, that's a tough one for me. I mean, I, I will be honest with you. I am old school beyond old school. Me too. Uh, Go on. I, mean, so I was around, obviously, free VHS. I mean, that, that was how you watched a movie. That one I don't 100% get. I don't really know enough about it to, to know, you know, anything. Um, the magazines, I mean, of course, they've been, you know, around as long as the comic books almost, which I always think are cool because they're really tough to find. Uh uh, in high grade, but they're so big. I think that's been one of the things that like people don't like storing slab magazines. You know, they're just you know they're oversized. But um, and I don't know if you were referencing original art, but then of course that's a whole other you know can of worms there. Where I mean that is just like the ultimate collectible because it's all unique and every single thing. It's like that is the that's the story that I remember and I have to have it and then then you just don't even know you know what to base the price on so that kind of stuff is just absolutely got no limit to it yeah and I, I didn't even want to go there I'll tell you why that's something to me that is is one of the most important parts and I'm I'm a designer at heart and I've always kind of tried to be an artist and I started with drawing like comic book characters it was always like the first thing for like a five or six year old always they, the ones that the things that I've been looking for are so incredibly hard to find. And a lot of people that I've run into, they had relationships with those artists in the 80s and 90s. A lot of them have passed away, unfortunately, because you're talking about books that are 40 and 50 years old at times. That to me is a space that is incredibly interesting. Everything is super rare. And the hunt associated with that is one that I haven't been able to wrap my head around yet. But I could see that even with individual pages becoming a really important part of this space. And yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see more of those come to, to Heritage as well, as I've sort of been paying way more attention to the original artwork, too. And not just for comics, for everything, for games and for individual sure. comic strips and the cells that go with it. Really, really oh, interesting. Video space. game art is is incredibly popular and impossible. I mean, we yep. can't even figure out where it is. Yep. You know, yep. Nobody seems to have it. Nobody seems to know what happened to it. Yep. Aris, same question for you. What do you think about in terms of new spaces that have popped up? Is it technology and it's, you know, again, VHS and all these things that are really starting to take the forefront and you're starting to see those five and six figure prices. Is there anything that you look at that you feel like has those same dynamics or the same characteristics that make you love comic books that you feel like might be interesting in the future? You know, it's crazy. Not necessarily something that like, like, but you know what shocked me a lot? The whole Pokemon like resurgence right like that went really? that, that is i mean i love For a 90s pokemon. kid that's crazy that you would well, be shocked by that well it's the fact i don't know it's just you know what it is i had the whole first set right the whole first edition. like i had all of I've them heard I, this remember, hard, I know where this is going i've heard this I, horror story that's before. what right i remember vividly vividly i had them all in a pokemon binder you know i had them all lined up like you do with your cards and baseball cards and i sold the whole set for hundred dollars to a local comic book shop whole set for a hundred dollars <laughs> And it's like, so I guess it's not that I was shocked. It was just like, out of all the things, like from the, because there's so much nostalgia from the 90s. It's like, of course, the one thing that I sold, I could have bought a Tesla with, right? So, <laughs> yeah, everybody uh, had a, everybody had a, had a perfect Charizard tucked away somewhere and gave it to like the bully at school. That story was told a lot. Dude, let me tell you, go a little off tangent here for a second. I remember my dad in Coral Springs, Florida, he took me to a local card shop and, and comic book shop, bought two booster packs, two booster packs. One of them was like, whatever. The second one, Charizard. I cried. I cried in legitimately. Eight-year-old, 10-year-old heiress cried on the way home. And the guy's like, Dad, I got a Charizard. Like, <laughs> that was a childhood dream, man. That was like an Dude, yeah, I, rem I remember at the time that card was going for 120 just that Charizard. 
at the time and now obviously like ridiculous but <laughs> in retrospect, if everybody would have kept everything from the 90s everybody would be rich that's how it would go anyway well, yeah. yeah but listen uh awesome conversation with you guys we have one last thing to do here and then i got a couple quick conversations at the end but we have a giveaway before i got on a plane to come to california today i was given this envelope and i was told not to open it until i got here right now for pay for this page seven of batman number one which i'm gonna rip open right now and tell you who the winner is for everybody that rsvp'd this is going to, I don't know what that name is, but you're going to get an email address, uh, an email to that email address. We didn't want to put the whole name on there because mm. I don't want anyone spamming you. You just want something <laughs> nice. You walk away with a slab graded copy of uh, the seventh page of Batman number one in really good condition. It's a beautiful page with Joker on it. We're going to get an email over to you soon. You'll be able to get the, uh, we'll get your address. We'll send it through. But that said, I really appreciate both of you coming on. Hopefully everybody learned something new. For anybody who's watching, you can find Lon at Heritage uh do you have social media a lot i'm trying to trying to send people your way but i know that you're uh, you're all business so i want to make sure that i'm not sending people to the wrong address uh email me lon lon a lon a at ha.com if you have anything worth it lon is a very discerning sort of uh <laughs> vp and heritage is not going to take anything so make sure if you're emailing him you have something that makes it worth it and then aris uh you can find him at, at variant uh on youtube on what's the twitter again if you don't mind me asking uh, at Variant Comics, and then Instagram would be Variant underscore official. At Variant Comics, Variant underscore official. And anybody who hasn't seen the videos, it's the easiest education that you'll ever get. And it's the most entertaining education that you'll get on so much awesome stuff. And it's very topical. It's always about what's happening it. in the space right now. Um, but that does it for episode two of SE Experts. Hopefully there were some key takeaways. I want to thank Aris and Lon again for coming on. Again, Friday the 18th, we have Batman number one going live on Rally, $10 a share. For a 1.8 million dollar comic book as aris told everybody here you can't just go out and buy a two million dollar book so hopefully everybody get a piece <laughs> of it but uh, everybody who rcp'd should have early access right now you can go in the app and take a look and for anyone who missed it we'll have this uh conversation up on our social media channels this week and in sunday's newsletter thank you both so much thank you everybody for joining uh thank you talking more soon thank you all right thanks guys